Father, first we thank you for this sacrament which you have instituted to your church to observe the Lord's table. We observe Christ in his broken body and his shed blood. Christ called us to do this in remembrance of his offering of himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, this points to the physical crucifixion that you went through, your sacrificial death. And Lord, we thank you that as believers, we're able to commemorate it in our church every fourth Sunday. And other churches do it also. But Lord, we thank you for such a privilege. Father, we come to you this morning in prayer, just thanking you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel that has been once delivered to the saints. We thank you, Lord, because in the gospel we find the means of salvation. We thank you, Lord, because as we're going to hear this morning in the sermon, there is only one gospel. There's such confusion in our world and confusion in the church concerning the gospel. But Lord, there's only one gospel. There's only one message that saves. That is the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that gospel tells us that God created the world in the beginning. God created the heavens and earth. God created everything and said that it was good. He created man and said that it was very good. He created the institution of marriage and and the family. God created distinctions between um, the uh, land and, and oceans and the sky and the earth between man and animals, between male and female. God created distinctions. But Father, despite the fact that you said everything was good, you gave man a command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that they could eat from every other tree. But Lord, man sinned and rebelled against you. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against you and sinned. And Father, from that moment forward, sin entered the world. And not only was our nature as humans corrupted, but also nature itself was corrupted. Because of sin, we have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have hurricanes, we have natural disasters because of the effects of sin on creation. And Lord, because of the effects of sin, we feel it even until this day. From the first murder committed in the Bible, by Cain rising his hand up to kill his own brother, his own flesh and blood. Murder has been in the world. It has been part of human history. Murder and rape and, and theft and all manner of sexual perversion has been part of the human narrative because of sin. And Lord, our world continues to cascade deeper and deeper into the abyss 
of sin. We see in our culture, particularly here in America and in the West, an assault and a rebellion against your created order. Lord, the rebellion is such that children are being chemically abused with puberty blockers and taking testosterone if they're girls and taking estrogen if they're boys to try to make them into something that they can never possibly ever become. And our culture celebrates it as something good. Lord, we live in a culture where people try to create families outside of your created order, which can only be created through male and female. Lord, we have an assault even on our conscience. The thought police telling Christians that we can't think the way that we think. We can't think biblically. To think biblically is to be bigoted, to be transphobic and homophobic and all the other uh, terms that they try to use to shame us. And Lord, those are just a few. Those are just the tip of the iceberg considering the cascading effects of sin that we see in our day. But Father, the point is, is that you created man in your image. You created man and said that he was very good. But Lord, man sinned against you. And now we are seeing that. Our very nature from the moment of conception, we are conceived in sin. And Father, we lay helpless and hopeless before you. Your word testifies against us that all have laid aside, all have turned aside, as Paul says in Romans 3. There is none who does good, no, not one. Lord, none of us are good. We think that we are, but we're not. We're all evil. We're all rebels. We all rebel against you. We all deserve the sentence of death. Your word tells us that the wages of sin, the price of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And all of us are deserving of death because all of us have sinned against you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Because, Lord, you are so good and, and you are so glorious. You are so worthy of our worship. But Lord, instead, we turn to worship other creatures. We, we turn to worship other people. We desire people to worship us and to praise us and to adore us. We want people to gaze their eyes upon us. Instead of gazing our eyes upon our creator and our savior. Lord, we're such desperate sinners. We're so helpless, Lord. We're so hopeless. But Lord, that is where the good news of the gospel comes in. The man, Jesus Christ, the God man, born of a virgin. He came into the world, God in the flesh. The Bible says that we beheld his glory, 
as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The God-man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, sinless life. He did not sin, and neither was any guile found in his mouth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. But yet, he was treated as a criminal in his death. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was sold to the Romans. He was turned over to three fake trials. When they could find no fault in him, they still crucified the Lord of glory. He went to the cross. No one took his life. He gave his life. He died in our place. We were deserving of being on that cross. We were the ones who deserved to be condemned. Not the Lord of glory. But Lord, he was condemned in our place. He was crucified in our place. He was murdered in our place for our sins. He alone bore your wrath on the cross because he alone is the only one who was worthy of bearing your wrath against sin on the cross. And because Christ bore the wrath of God, because he died as our substitute, he made the way for us sinful people to be saved. He made a way for us to be at peace with God the Father. He paid the price for our sins. He paid the debt that he did not even owe. And we owed the debt that we could not even pay. But Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all on the cross. To save sinners like me. And to all who believe on him. They too can be saved. But Lord that's not the end. Christ was buried. And he rose victoriously from the dead. Just as we sung here earlier. He rose victoriously from the dead. And because he was raised. Those who believe in him are raised from the spiritual dead. His resurrection makes our faith in him possible. And not only did he rise Lord. But he ascended to heaven where he is seated right now. At your right hand. Interceding for the saints, serving us as our high priest, interceding for us, praying for us, serving as our advocate. And one day, Lord, at the appointed time, you will send him back to redeem his church. The dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive at his coming will be caught up to meet him in the air. Lord, there will be a glorious reunion. Our bodies will be glorified. We will receive new bodies. Perfect bodies. And we will be in the presence of our Lord forever. Without the stain of sin. Lord that is the gospel message. And I pray this morning. We've been preaching it at our church for over 10 years. That all who have heard it knows. That this is the gospel. This is what we ought to believe. 
Continue, Lord, to plant us firmly as a church in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, I pray that the gospel be proclaimed throughout all the world, all the true churches preaching the true gospel. That the gospel may be proclaimed up in Washington, D.C. at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Because, Lord, our present administration needs to hear the gospel. And when hearing it, they need to turn away from their sins and turn to the living Christ and be saved. Those up in the U.S. Capitol, our senators and legislators, they need the gospel too. They need to hear the gospel. Lord, may it be proclaimed up there. May it be proclaimed on Dexter Avenue here in the great state of Alabama in K. Ivey's administration and our state senators and state representatives. Lord, may it be proclaimed in our city halls and in our county commission meetings that all of our local elected officials may hear the gospel and those who don't believe may turn to Christ and be saved. Lord, it is the gospel, the power of the gospel that saves. Paul himself says he is not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. And Lord, they can't believe unless the gospel is heard. May we not be ashamed to articulate the gospel to unbelievers also and to encourage believers in it to repeat the gospel to ourselves and Lord for all of our sister churches may we as brethren continue to proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ our brothers at ABC and Grace Fellowship and Redeemer and Christian Fellowship and Iron City and Mountain View and other like minded churches and brethren continue to proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ And Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we begin to look at Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10, looking at one true gospel. There is only one. There is no another gospel. Another gospel is no gospel at all. Lord, send your spirit to help me to preach well and to illuminate this passage to all of us. And may we leave out of here, Lord, more encouraged and more bold than ever to proclaim the only gospel because there is only one and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name I pray amen and amen man let us turn to Galatians the first chapter we're in our second sermon in this series and today's message is titled one true gospel only one gospel And we're looking at verses 6 through 10. And this is the reading of the word of the Lord. So turn your Bibles to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. He just begins, <laughs> he just begins. I marvel that you are turning away so soon.
from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I will not be a bondservant of Christ. Amen. The heart of this text here is, is a twofold pronouncement of a curse upon anyone preaching the gospel contrary to the one that the Galatian believers had received from Paul. And Paul uses very strong language. And he does this to affirm the absolute uniqueness of the gospel of Christ. And this affirmation is, is preceded by Paul's amazement, his astonishment at the speed at which the Galatian believers had moved away from the true gospel. The Judaizers had come in. We talked about the Judaizers last week. They were the ones, they were uh, Jewish converts who were telling the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised and also obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. They were troubling this church. So just exegeting the passage before we get into our principles here. In verse 6, Paul records his amazement or astonishment. As we would say, he was blown away by the behavior of his spiritual children. The Galatians, from Paul's um, point of view, they were deserting the gospel, turning away. That gives the feeling of deserting. And this implies that this process had already began. It, it wasn't final. It was ongoing. It was something that was happening in the church. And Paul came along to arrest this process, to, to stop it from spreading, stop it from getting worse. So he, he, he caught wind of it. He heard it was already kind of taking place. It was already in motion. So Paul came to arrest this development in the church to stop it from spreading even more. And then in verse 7, he clarifies his reference to the different gospel by declaring that there is not another gospel than the one which he received from the Lord. There's no such thing as another gospel. We will get into that. And in the heart of his argument, we see in verses 8 and 9, where he says, these powerful words, he says, if an angel, if we or an angel from heaven 
Those are very strong words. In other words, he was saying the gospel is not to be trifled with at all by anyone. The gospel needs no updates. It needs no adjustments or improvements. We don't need to add anything to it. Paul puts himself in the angels of heaven under the authority of the unchanging gospel message. He says if we or an angel from heaven. So he's putting both of them under the same authority of the gospel. And he says if. Because that's not likely going to happen. First of all. So he said let them be a curse. A curse is the Greek word is anathema. That is a strong term that means uh, devoted to God for destruction. So anyone who preaches another gospel is devoted to God for destruction. They are assigned to destruction because it is anathema. That is how serious it is to preach another gospel. And then in verse 10, Paul makes another assertion. He says, do I not persuade men or God? That is a very good question. Because the Judaizers had charged him with making the gospel too easy by being a man pleaser. That's what they were accusing him of. But Paul was saying that man pleasing and Christ serving are mutually exclusive. They are not the same thing. They are totally different. They are totally different. So with that, I don't have any extra uh, slides today. We're going to look at two overriding principles. Number one is a counterfeit gospel we see in verses 6 and 7. And then the danger of gospel defection in verses 8 through 10. Our age that we live places a high premium on tolerance and diversity, equity, and inclusion. In our culture, the only real sin is to be critical. In our culture, the only real sin is to criticize something, whether it's an ideology or a lifestyle. That's the only sin that counts in our culture. If you say that, come on, please, a man can't be a woman. You will be criticized because you can't criticize. You'll be called a transphobe. Because we live in a culture of political correctness and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And people say, oh, you can't be negative. Positive vibes only. Good vibes. You know, you see shirts and, and posts about good vibes and positive vibes only. You can't be negative or what they call negative or critical. And unfortunately, that is filtered over into the church. People say in church, oh, don't be negative. Don't preach on sin. Now, that doesn't mean you have to preach on sin all the time. But some people say don't preach on sin at all. No one needs to hear that. 
We want to be affirmed. We want to be told how good we are. We want to be told how special we are. How God looks at us with a wink and a nod. That's what we want to be told in church. We don't want to deal with error. We don't want to expose those who teach falsely. No, we want to just go along to get along. We've allowed what the culture thinks to filter into the church. We have softened the gospel message in the church. And the results are seen in our culture. Because the church has abdicated her responsibility in proclaiming the gospel. The church, and I say church universal, not a lot of individual churches, but especially here in America, the church has deserted the gospel. And you know what is going to eventually happen? We're going to become Europe. Europe is where Protestantism began. Germany, Scotland, the the reformers, Switzerland, the great reformers, Calvin and and John Knox and Martin Luther and Eurek Zwingli, all the, the great reformers. The Protestant Reformation started in England, in, 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 in the West. But if you go to England now, churches are closed everywhere. And most of the ones that are standing are apostate. You have some solid churches over there, but a great majority of the churches that are still in existence are apostate churches. They've departed from orthodoxy. They've tolerated all types of sin in their ranks, in their pulpits. That's what they've done. A lot of those countries have become atheistic when uh, at, at first they were highly Christianized and now you look at those areas because the counterfeit gospel has led to that so in our first principle we talk about the counterfeit gospel you look at verse 6 Paul says I marvel that you are turning away soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So Paul right off the bat. Addressed the problem. He was amazed. He was astonished. He was flabbergasted. That they so quickly deserted the gospel. Normally at this point in his letters. If you look at Paul's other letters. He expressed thanksgiving. Or offered commendations. Or offered a prayer on behalf of his readers. But his abruptness here showed that this was a serious error in this church and he couldn't just softball it. He had to get right down to it. I'm astonished at you. I'm amazed that you would depart so fast. He was, it was like he was incredulous. He, he, he just so apoplectic because he can't believe that they departed so quickly from the true gospel. He's astonished that they're willing to substitute a counterfeit gospel for the true 
gospel. Now the word deserting here, he says turning away. The word deserting ex, uh, expresses treachery or uh, being a traitor. The treachery of being a traitor. I remember when I was in the military and Harvey probably knows this too. Uh, you had men who were AWOL, which is absent without leave. That means you didn't come in on time off leave like you were supposed to. You know, you get a slap on the wrist, captain's mask, you know, may get on restriction. Or if you do it too many times, you'll get, you know, three days bread and water, maybe 30 days in the brig. Brig is military jail. You know, you, you, if you're AWOL. Okay, AWOL means you eventually come back. But a deserter is one who was AWOL for, I think, 30 days or more. That means they have deserted their duty. Because the military is not going to go out and look for you. They're not going to go on a search mission to, to find you and tell you, hey, you need to come back. No. Once you, you become a deserter, it's like you have you become a traitor. If you ever came back, you will go to the brig for a long time, and you'll get a dishonorable discharge. I mean, you won't be able to get any benefits at all. So a deserter was someone who was absent without leave for 30 days or more. They would be considered a traitor. So when Paul talks about turning away here, he's he, he's speaking in those type of military terms. That you are now right now deserting to show that they were in the process of abandoning the gospel. And this was serious enough, as I said earlier, for Paul to come in and to arrest this development. And it is a deadly defection to turn away from God because what does Paul say listen to the words here turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ so turning away from the gospel is turning away from God why because it's God's gospel the gospel is God's gospel he is the proclaimer of the gospel so that is how serious it was it is God who speaks in the gospel. The gospel was purposed by God. And it was purchased by Christ. And this means that. When God speaks to sinners. And calls them to faith. He is speaking of himself. And calling them to the, into the faith of his son. And to desert the gospel. Means to desert God. And his call. That's why he said that. Desert him who did what? Called you. In the grace of Christ. Because it is God's gospel. The Judaizers claimed to be God's spokesmen. But they were not. Because they were applying the principles of the old covenant. But Paul was telling them that they proclaimed a totally different message. So Paul reminded them that they were called through the gospel. Through the gospel of the grace of Christ. This means that God graciously bestowed salvation. He not only calls sinners to Christ. But also by the grace of Christ. It is how it is done. It is done through the work of Christ. We are called by Christ through his work. It's not something that we do or have anything to do with. It is the gospel, the grace of Christ, not the grace of us. They were and, and, and not only were they rejecting God, but they were rejecting God 
to a different gospel, as Paul said at the end of verse 6. To a different gospel. They were embracing a gospel that was a competing message to the true gospel. It was an alternative to the gospel that Paul preached. But Paul quickly points out, if you notice, look at the beginning of verse 7. He points out that it is not another gospel. He says here, which is not another. There's no such thing as a different gospel. I think about it nowadays. People say the prosperity gospel or the black gospel or the liberation gospel or the social gospel. Adding all these additives to the word gospel. There's only one gospel and it needs no descriptors. There's only one gospel that has been once for all delivered to the saints. And that is the gospel that we see here. That is the gospel that we sing about. It is the gospel that we read about in the catechism earlier this service. That is the only gospel. There's no other gospel. There's no social justice gospel. There's no critical race theory that you have to add to the gospel in order for the Bible to be understood by someone who is oppressed. As some people have been doing. That you have to look at the Bible through the lens of the oppressed women in scripture. That the women in the Bible were oppressed. That old patriarchal system of the Bible needs to be systematically dismantled. That's critical theory. What that thing does is it seeks to deconstruct the Bible, deconstruct the gospel into something that is not the gospel. You had at one time a little dust up on, especially on Twitter, where you had some people saying that David raped Bathsheba. That she was a, a victim of the patriarchy. That is applying a modern cultural hermeneutic to the understanding of scripture. And when you do that, it perverts the true gospel. It perverts it. There's not another gospel. There is only one. So Paul says in reality, there is no other gospel. There is only one. And these Galatians were being uh, duped by a counterfeit. And you know the thing about counterfeits is this. Something that's counterfeit looks real. I mean, that's why people are deceived by it. You hear about counterfeit? You know, when I, when I worked at the bank, you have people that were getting these checks in the mail for $2,600 and present, bringing them to the bank and, and presenting them to deposit into their account. Hey, where'd you get this check from? Oh, it, it, it just came in the mail. You know, they say if I go wrap my car and, and send $500 back or it's for a secret shopper thing and, and uh, you know, we would try to verify the check and you couldn't. Although it looked real, had like a bank, had the routing number and stuff on it, it but it looked like a real check, but we had to call to verify it and you can't verify it, ma'am, sir. We can't deposit the check. It can't be, it can't be verified. 
It's counterfeit. Or they'll get mad, go storm to another bank. They're going to tell you the same thing if they go through the process they're supposed to. Because if it's deposited into your account and that check comes back, your account is going to be closed and you're going to owe that money. And you're going to be put into the what banks have, the uh, EWS, which is early warning system, which is a fraud system. So if you go op open an account at another bank, boom, put in your social security number, the EWS one is going to pop up. You can't open an account there because you try to deposit a fraudulent check, a counterfeit check that you insisted was real when you know nobody's going to send you a check in the mail for something that you didn't do. That's what I always tell customers. Nobody's going to send you a free check in the mail for something that, you know, for, for services not performed, the services not rendered. No one's going to send you a $2,600 check for something that you didn't do in hopes that you will go wrap your car and, and send $500 back. But it's a counterfeit check. We know at the bank it looks very real. Some of them look real bad, but most of them look like real cashier checks from actual banks with the insignia and the right, correct routing number and all that on it. All the endorsements on and on the back and everything. But you won't know what's counterfeit until you know what is real. And the gospel is the same way. The counterfeit gospel looks, it, it sounds like the real thing. It does. The counterfeit gospel will say, hey, you're special. Your special sounds good. And you are special. But not special in the way that the world thinks. The true gospel says you're a sinner. The false gospel says you're a good person. You're a good person. That's what the counterfeit. It sounds good to say, yeah, he's a so-and-so, yeah. They're good people. That's what we say in the country. You know, they, they're good people. But the Bible says... You are not good. You have no righteousness within yourself. Your righteousness, your self-righteousness is as filthy rags. The counterfeit gospel says, you love God, sinner. You love the Lord, don't you? Yeah, I love the Lord. No, the truth is you hate God. You're a rebel. You're in rebellion against God. You're in sin right now. If you die right now, you're going to hell. You don't love God. You say you do. You, you say it with your mouth and with your lips, but your heart is far away from him. See, the counterfeit gospel seeks to assuage man's consciousness of his guilt. It seeks to make man feel good about his sin, to make man feel good about his guilt. And tries to teach man, this is how you deal with your guilt. Be a good person. Give to the poor. Go do good things for people. Try to be the best you you can be. Try to be successful in life. That's what the counterfeit gospel says. All those platitudes sound good in theory. But in reality... You can do nothing to assuage your guilt to make that guilt go away. You got sinners, they toss and turn in the middle of the night. They can't get sleep. They got to take drugs to go to sleep. Why? Because their conscience is constantly convicting them of sin. That call of repentance never, ever stops. 
But what do they do? They keep suppressing, as Paul said in Romans 1, they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. They continue to do it. It takes a lot of mental fortitude to do that. They keep doing it. Why? Because they're sinners. They're in rebellion. What, what, what did Paul say in Ephesians 2? We were dead. A dead person can't do anything. And those sinners are dead. But what does the counterfeit kind of gospel tell them? Yeah, you do these nice things, you know. Oh, God has to let you. God wouldn't send a bad person like you to hell. That's not a loving God. God loves everybody. God has unconditional love. That is one of the biggest lies. That God has unconditional love for everybody. That is so not true. But it's a lie that a lot of people believe. That is a counterfeit gospel because of that one word love and many people are being deceived by this counterfeit gospel and that's why Paul was so indignant about these Galatians because Christ's gospel is about Christ it's not about us his is the gospel of atonement it is the gospel that declares full remission of sins and divine justification of sinners based on that atonement. That is what the gospel does. The gospel is what makes us right with God, not what we do. Being good is not going to make us right with God. Coming to church and trying to satisfy people is not going to make us right with God. Giving to charity, doing good things for people, giving out toys for Christmas and donating jackets to the homeless is not going to make you right with God. Are those good things to do? Yes, but they are not going to make you right with God. The only way you can be right with God is believing the true gospel, which says that you are a sinner, that you are a rebel, that you hate God. And you have to lay on the mercy of Christ to save you. Because the truth is, you cannot save yourself. There's nothing that you can do. The only thing you bring to the table is your sin. That is it. That's why Paul says in one, one of his books, he cannot boast in the flesh. His flesh had nothing to do with it. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he himself was converted from another, not himself. It was Christ who called him. And he called him to preach the true gospel from which these people had deserted. This fake gospel that was preached by the Judaizers was based upon the work of Christ plus human behavior or human endeavor, such as circumcision and, and uh, Jewish ceremonies. You have churches in our day, false churches, false no gospel churches 
who are telling people there are other things they need to do to be saved or to prove their salvation. One of them is the loyalty to their preacher or their quote apostle. You got to be loyal to them. You got to be a stand for them. You have to elevate them. You have to worship them. You have to applaud them. You have to praise them. You have to lift them up. You have to exalt them. If you're not doing that, you're not a true believer. Isn't it sad that people hear this nonsense and they stay there and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. That's how deceitful a counterfeit gospel is. But people who don't know the true gospel, they won't know the counterfeit gospel when they hear it because they don't know the true gospel. Gospel, what's that word? (laughs) The first thing people say is, what does gospel mean? Good news? Okay, what is the good news? How, how is it good news? What makes it good news? Okay. It's good news because we're sinners. We're depraved. We're evil. We're rebels. We rebel against God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are lost without hope. We sin. We're wrong, not God. We need God. God doesn't need us. That's the bad news. God doesn't need us. He's not begging for us. He's not longing for us. Like some unrequited high school love. No, we need God. We are helpless and hopeless without God. Without God, we are under his wrath. We are children of wrath. That's the way Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. We are under the wrath of God right now, under his stone. If you're without Christ. That's the bad news. You are bound for hell. That's the bad news. The good news is, turn to Christ, gaze upon Christ, turn to him and believe. As Jesus said in his earthly ministry, when he began, repent and believe the gospel. It's more than just good news. It does mean good news, but you have to get more into it than that. So this counterfeit gospel was obviously very successful. And, you know, we're not deceived by monopoly money because we know that's fake. But we are deceived by the counterfeit money. So the gospel that the Judaizers were teaching was counterfeit and it was so damning. And so now we get to our second principle, the danger of gospel defection. So in verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than which we have preached to you, let him be anathema. 
That's hard hitting. And then he reiterated. In verse 9. As we have said before. So now I say again. In other words. It was so nice he had to say it twice. If anyone. Preaches any other gospel to you. Than what you have received. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathematized. That is an oath of self-destruction. The Old Testament uh, word is to ban. It is used in the Greek, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the uh, Old Testament. It is used for the word ban. And this harkens back to Joshua 7 and 1, uh, which says items that were devoted to the ban were to be destroyed. So we think about anathema, as I said earlier, means to be devoted to destruction, to damnation. In 1 uh, Corinthians 16 and 22, Paul used that word for eternal damnation. He said here in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed or anathematized. Let him receive eternal damnation. And Paul wasn't using a mild reprimand. He wasn't giving them a slap on the wrist. No one, oh, Paul, you shouldn't talk that way. That's such harsh language. No, <laughs> Paul was serious. Paul said, let anyone who teaches another gospel be eternally damned. That's what he's saying. So in verse 8, he applies it to himself. He says, even if we should preach to you, the gospel contrary to what we preach. So even if we do it, me, the other apostles, if I do it, let me be accursed. He begins with himself because the false teachers had accused him of having a different gospel. They accused him of having one gospel for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. But that was not true. But Paul, he began by pronouncing this anathema on himself. In order to assert that the gospel that he preached was the real gospel, the true gospel that he had received from the Lord. It was apostolic and it was authoritative. It came with the authority of God who called him. Those were his uh, bona fides. That remember Paul, an apostle. Not from man, but from God. So he's coming speaking as a messenger of the Lord. So that's why he could say to himself, let me be accursed if I preach another gospel. And then he uses the angels to establish his argument. He says, oh, an angel from heaven. We know that Paul went out to preach another gospel and that a pure angel from heaven who is a servant of God. That's where angels are, they're servants. They could not preach another gospel. So Paul is basically saying that no one in all of creation has the authority to change the gospel. Not him, not the other apostles, not even the angels in heaven. Sh can preach or should preach 
another gospel. But why do people do it? Because of vainglory. They're, they're, they're all about themselves. Vainglory vain is, is an old 16th, 17th century word that means that they are all about themselves. Receiving the glory. Got these preachers coming and saying, I got a word from the Lord for you today. And don't even open their Bibles. Oh, this going this gonna to break you. You're going to get your breakthrough today. You're going to get this today. God's got this for you. You know, so forth and so on. Go get your blessing. Me and friends joking about that this morning. Go get it. Go get your blessing. It's your time. That Mary Mary song. It's your time. It's your time to be blessed. This is your season. How many times y'all heard false preachers say that? It's your season. I got a word from you today. What's that word? It's your season. It's my season to what? Be blessed. To receive a hundredfold. Just give me that seed offering. <laughs> give, me that, give me that seed offering. I told y'all about the time we was in a revival at uh, my old church. We was in Tuskegee and that man got up saying, I see $100 seed offerings in here. And I was like 18. I think I was in college at the time. I started squirming out of my seat. And that man was walking around that church with that microphone. I got, is it somewhere? God said it's on you. He went running around pointing people saying, God said it's on you. It's on you. It's on you, young man. Yeah, you duck it down in your seat. And I was like, me and my brother said, we got to get up out of here. False. They're, they're, they're speaking from manly, wicked wisdom. Let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. Understand this, people. Applying this principle to our church today. Any preacher or so-called pastor that's preaching a false gospel is not preaching the gospel and they ought to be accursed. They ought to be anathematized. That's how serious it is. They are bringing a curse or damnation rather. I'm not talking about curse like a witch cursing them. Not that type of curse. Or a black cat crossing your path. Or breaking a glass. Or splitting poles type. I'm not talking about that superstitious nonsense. We're talking about eternal damnation curse. The curse of judgment upon themselves. By preaching a false gospel. By deceiving people. Paul says let them be what? A curse. Anathematized. That is the danger of defecting from the gospel. That those who are doing it, <coughs> especially those who are doing it knowingly, they are anathematizing themselves. And many of them are doing it to suit those who hear them. Paul probably had in mind, uh, there's an account in 1 Kings 13, and I, this is one of my favorite passages in 1 Kings. And what happened was um, a prophet went up from Judah uh, to prophesy to, prophesy 
to Jeroboam at Bethel. Jeroboam was at Bethel and the prophet came up and prophesied to him and God had revealed to the prophet that he was to return by a different way and by no means he was to stay or eat in the area. He was supposed to give the prophecy and then leave. But an old prophet from the northern kingdom wanted some fellowship and went after him and said, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring back with you to your house. Now, God told him, God gave this prophet instructions, go up another way. But an old prophet from the northern kingdom, from, from Israel, this is when the kingdom was split, came and said, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house. This is in 1 Kings 13 and 18. So the prophet from Judah returned and God put him to death. Now why did he slay him rather than the prophet who lied? Because that prophet believed the deception. The word that that prophet spoke didn't come from God, but the word God spoke to the other prophet to go up to Jeroboam. God spoke directly to him and gave him instructions as far as what to do. So who did that prophet disobey? He disobeyed God. God didn't destroy. He destroyed the one who believed the counterfeit. He didn't destroy that one who lied to him. An angel cannot change the message that God gave. That's what Paul says. If me or what? An angel from heaven. Perhaps he had this passage in mind. An angel cannot change the message that had been received from God. So Paul establishes that no matter how important the person, no matter how popular the person in our day, if they change the gospel, they will be a curse. Let that stand. No matter how popular the person is, no matter how many members they have at their church, no matter the reach of their ministry, no matter how many people in his church says, preach, preacher. If they are preaching another gospel, they ought to be accursed because there is no such thing as another gospel. That is the danger of defecting from the true gospel. Friends, there are consequences. There are consequences. So in verse 9, Paul applies this principle to false teachers. As we have said before, we say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you, then what you ever see, let him be a curse. Paul warns them that it matters not who a man is or from whom he claims authority or the credentials he offers. If his gospel differs from Paul's, then guess what? Let him be accursed. It doesn't matter. We can't show respect to persons. The gospel needs no help. The gospel doesn't need anyone's help. We can't say, oh, the gospel not sufficient. They're not going to listen to it. That's not for us to worry about. We proclaim the gospel no matter what. 
We proclaim God's truth no matter what. It's not true based on who it comes from. It's true based on whose it is. It is God's gospel. It's God's gospel. And then Paul enforces his commitment to the true gospel in verse 10. In verse 10, he's speaking of his own motives. For do I not persuade men or God? His motive is to persuade who? God. That was a rhetorical question. Is he seeking the favor of men or the favor of God? We can translate that by saying, am I speaking to persuade in order to please men or to please God? When we are proclaiming the gospel, we are trying to please God, not man. We're not being intentionally offensive, but the gospel message is an offense to people. People don't want to hear that they're sinners. People don't want to hear that they are bad, that they're not as good as they think they are. People don't want to hear that. Especially those who are altruistic, you know, altruism is doing like good works, good deeds. Those who are very altruistic, they they give to the United Way, you know, they give doing the tours for tots thing, you know, they they give to charity, you know, they go out and do the Anderson Changers thing in the community. And again, those things are not bad. They're good. They're good things to do. They can participate in Meals on Wheels, you know, taking uh, meals to uh, those who are, uh, you know, receiving them. They can do all those things. There's nothing wrong inherently with that. But if you tell that same person that's taking that meal to someone's house and dropping it off, and you say to them, do you think you're a good person? And they'll say, yeah, why you ask me that? Why do you think you're a good person? Well, you know, I like taking care of the poor. You know, they start listing what things that they do. The gospel is not about what we do. It is about what God has done. The gospel is not a performance. Now, we do those works after as a consequence of being saved. God saved us to do what? good works but it's not the good works that save us but the counterfeit gospel says you do these good works in order to attain favor from God in order to get on God's quote good side and when you're doing that you're pleasing man but you won't please man when you say yeah those are good things that you're doing but do you know that you're not a good person? <gasps> the horror. How are you going to say that about me? All of my friends love me. Everybody loves me. Everybody speaks. How are you going to say I'm a bad person? How dare you? Well, I'm sorry, man. I'm not trying to, you know. Can we open up? Can I open my Bible and show you what the Bible says about you and me? Turn to Romans 3. What does this mean? There's none that does good, no, not one. Oh, I don't believe that. Paul was talking to, he was talking to, he wasn't talking to us. He was, he was talking to those Romans. You tell a person they're not good and watch what they do. 
Well, let someone tell you that. You may do the same thing. You may have the same reaction. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm not good, but my Savior is. My Savior is good. And because my Savior is good, because I believe in him, guess what? I have his righteousness imputed to me. I have the righteousness of Christ. So I'm righteous in God's eyes because of Christ, not because of my own merit, not because of myself. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. So Paul saying, am I seeking to please man or God? If you're seeking to please God, you're going to nail the gospel. Because he says, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Paul thought of himself as a steward of the gospel that he had received. He was not his own man. He was compelled to preach the gospel and he must be a faithful steward of this gospel, no matter who it offends. And he wasn't intentionally trying to be offensive. And because of this, he can only preach the gospel that came from God. So we must understand that ourselves, that when we're proclaiming the gospel, we're seeking to please only one audience. So the question that we have to ask ourselves and, and other ministers is, are we trying to please me and are we trying to please God? And I'm going to tell you what, we will only remain faithful if we're pleasing God. When you try to please man, that's hard. You know, you got these churches, they got to come up with something new every Sunday to, to keep people's attention. To do all these, I, I, I watch them, I watch some of their services on Facebook Live, and I'm like, man, they they pulling out all the tricks out the hat to keep people entertained. Because they're believing the false gospel that it's about you and what you got to do. Heard a preacher tell somebody, it's because you don't have enough faith. Beating up their church members. <laughs> Why is the faith of God on your life? Because you don't have enough faith. That person needs out of church what? Condemned? Man, I don't have enough faith. I'm never going to have enough faith. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm not blessed because I don't have enough faith. That is so destructive. That's why the preachers who preach a counterfeit gospel ought to be cursed because they're causing destruction to those who hear them. They're destroying people's faith in the true God because they believe in a false God who is presented as the true God. They think this is how God is that I got to perform, I got to do all this in order for God to bless me and if I don't do it, if I don't have enough faith, then God is not going to bless me. And they begin to have a twisted view of God. That God is some type of cosmic genie or pinata. They have a false view of the true God. Then next thing you know, they tie the church. I talked to a girl about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, inviting her to our church. You know how I was at the church day preaching this and preaching that, and I just got tired because I knew it wasn't true. I said, well, there are some good churches around here that are doing like ours. I know, but I just, you know, these, these preachers, man, they blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not these preachers. 
But that's what they say. If you talk, that's what they say. Because guess what? They've been hearing the false gospel. They know it's false. They see all the foolishness that comes from those pulpits. And those preachers are saying, this is how God is. That's why they ought to be anathematized. Because they're trying to please man and not pleasing God. They're not servants of Christ, as Paul said here. They're not a bond servant of Christ. They're slaves to themselves. They're slaves to their own glory seeking. They're slaves to the money. To the faint praise that they get from people. To the, to the likes and the shares. They are slaves to sin and unrighteousness. Because they are trying to please man. And they are doing it to the destruction of themselves and those who hear them. So this passage calls to mind the importance of knowing right doctrine. Doctrine is important. And then also being grounded in the truths of the gospel. As a church, with God's help, we're going to continue To commit to right biblical doctrine. And be grounded in the truths of the gospel. Because to depart from the true gospel for another gospel. Is to turn from God to a counterfeit. That can expose one's soul to eternal damnation. Right quick. Look at some modern counterfeits categories one there's the liberal gospel that a lot of apostate denominations preach like the church across the street from uh, Emily among others the liberal gospel which is not a gospel says that Christ is a good example and we ought to follow him as long as our good works outweigh our bad works all is good between us and God but those who believe this counterfeit gospel are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Even though it's a liberal gospel, many might be shocked to realize how often people in conservative evangelical churches, churches rather, express a similar delusion. When asked about their hope of eternal life, when you ask them, hey, uh, um, how do you know you're going to make it to heaven? Well, they start listing their works. And that's something we need to think about. If someone asks us, what hope of heaven do we have? Well, I'm a good person. My good works outweigh my bad. I've done right by people, as we say down here in the South. You know, I've done right by people. I treated everybody right. I love my neighbor as myself. I obeyed the golden rule. I did unto others as, you know, I would have them do unto me. We say all those things. Those are all our works, our works, our works. But that is not how we receive interest into heaven we see interest into heaven based on the work of Christ in saving us and preparing that place for us we don't do anything to earn it heaven has been given to us by God through Christ we don't do anything in that case a person who, who, who denies and rejects God can do all those good works you have unbelievers who do good works and do good things but guess what that don't mean they're going to get into heaven but you have Christians who 
believe that. The second uh, modern counterfeit is the sacramental gospel. This is uh, especially key to the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church. They add works and they add penance. Penance means like confession. Uh, they add prayers and, and sacraments. The intercession of Mary and the saints, they pray to Mary. They do the, the rosary beads. I know a lady came to our insurance office one day. Uh, asked her, she, had a, uh, she was doing some type of fundraising for the Catholic Church there in Jacksonville. And, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, she brought some rosary beads for the lady across from us. She said, you want some rosary beads? I said, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. No, I don't need rosary beads. I'm not Catholic. And I have Christ. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm good. I was really nice about it. I said, no, man, I'm, I don't need rosary beads. Uh, I have Christ. And then they believe in purgatory and the mass as a way to atone for sin. But that is a false gospel also. And those are just a couple of them. But what we must understand, friends, is that any other gospel is not the true gospel. Amen. We must. At all points. Refuse it. And we have the opportunity to speak out against it because people's souls are at stake. The preachers, they're anathematized. And the hearers who believe it and receive it can be deceived also. Amen. Let us pray as we close out. Father, we thank you that there is only one true gospel, and that is the gospel delivered to the saints by the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us in here who probably at some point believe aspects of a false gospel. We believe that we can have entrance into heaven by our good works. We believe that it is our good works that save us instead of the work of Christ. Well, sometimes we falsely believed that if we just by good works outweigh our bad works, that if we go out and help people, that we go and feed the poor and you know, help out the homeless which are in and of themselves not bad things but Lord we feel that those things are, are what makes us good with you Lord we believe in the counterfeit gospel for the true gospel has been delivered to us and we have to believe it and we have to affirm it and Lord I pray for for churches and false pastors, false teachers that are teaching another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Lord, I pray that you may trouble their souls. Bring them to repentance. Bring them to a saving faith, faith in the true Christ and the true gospel.
And we pray for their members, those who listen, those who hear. Lord, that you give them discerning ears. And those who don't know the gospel, that if we know them, Lord, that we snatch them out by fire. If we know them, that we show them the true gospel and what it is and what it means. And Lord, may they confront their leaders respectfully about them proclaiming the false gospel and that they may turn and repent and preach your truth. Father, I pray that you use this message to your glory to convict sinners that they may repent and turn to you and may use that as an encouragement to the saints to believe in the true gospel to always affirm the gospel to preach the gospel to ourselves to you be the glory forever and ever in Christ's name amen